In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Friends, family, those that are listening, uh, I absolutely get giddy and excited when somebody reaches out that I have never met. And so Adam has done that. And I, I greatly appreciate you taking the, I don't know, the initiative, the <laughs> the part of being able to reach out. And then we just were speaking in the green room here for just a few minutes. And you're talking about Wolverine, which frankly is my favorite X-Man. And we're talking about all kinds of other things. And I'm like, man, I feel, I feel like I already know this guy a little bit. And we're just starting to get into this. But I'm excited to be able to hear more about the journey and, and more about the, the transitions and the times and the things that you thought were going to be and then didn't. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm obviously kind of excited about this. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for the willingness to be able to share part of your story. No problem, man. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I reached out. I love what you guys are doing. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's truly about that. So let's start with where we always start. We meet in an elevator and I ask you the question, who are you? So who is Adam? All right. Well, we'll get the geographical stuff out of the way. Adam's a guy that was <laughs> born in New Jersey and he lives in South Carolina. He's 44, getting ready to be 45 here soon. You know, those are all great. But really, if we're talking about who I am at my core, number one, I am a man who protects the physical, financial, spiritual, and emotional well-being of my family, including myself. And number two, I am a man who has devoted his life to helping men get from where they are to where they want to be. Simple. That's a powerful, powerful statement there. And it's truly a great way to be able to identify. And I, I appreciate you just putting that out there because I know, and that's our whole purpose. So side note here, that's the whole purpose of narrative is we want to help people that are in positions that are going through things. And that's why we tell these stories. That's exactly what we're doing. So, all right, well, let's get started. What was it like? What were your thoughts? What was your narrative that you thought you were going to live growing up? Where where did you get going here? Oh, Wow. I remember as a kid, you know, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was to be an architect. Like, I don't know who dreams about being an architect, but if I wasn't going to be an architect, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Right. So. Two opposite things. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I wanted to build things and I wanted to help people. But what kid thinks about that stuff? I, I don't know. But those are the wants and desires. But. I started thinking about really when I watched a couple of your other episodes, I started really thinking about what is the narrative that I actually adopted as an identity. Right. And I really, I remember very early on being told that had it not been for me, that my mother probably would have killed herself. And Mm -hmm. I carried this right. I, but I had no idea I carried it. And, you know, as a kid, you're like, it's okay, mommy, I'm here. But 
I started to to really identify as having that kind of importance on people's lives, right? And mm-hmm. not from a savior complex either, but from a modifying my behaviors and how I was to make sure that the moods in the room were were right. And and I and through really thinking about what I was going to say here today, I, there are certain events that happened when I was a kid that really kind of solidified that. Like I remember the story of wanting mac and cheese and it was bedtime. And I asked mom, she said, no, she was sitting on the couch holding my newborn baby sister. I walk into the kitchen, my dad's prepping the bottle. He's going to bring it out. And what's he doing? He's making himself a bowl of macaroni and cheese. And he says, Hey son, you want a bowl of macaroni and cheese? I said, yeah, sure. So when a four-year-old gets something that they've previously been told they could not have, what do they do? Naturally, they brag about it. They show it off. I went into the living room with my bowl of macaroni and cheese and I was dancing and singing my Nana Nana Boo Boo song or whatever. And I remember World War III breaking out in that house. I remember my mother erupted. My dad erupted. The bottle that he had just prepared went flying across the room, smashed on the wall, covered everyone in milk. My mom's crying. My dad's storming out of the house and my little baby sister's crying. And I'm standing there with a bowl of macaroni and cheese. And it wasn't until much later in life, like just literally a few years ago, that I actually looked at that story and the impact that it had on me, along with also knowing that I was the reason my mother was alive, right? And I started to think, wow, my my actions really do have some real power over people. So what I learned was that if I really do chase after the things that I want and I get them, everyone else might suffer for it. And so I, I adopted this 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 personality this identity that I had to be what the people around me needed to be, you know, couple that with being, I'm a big guy, right? I was always large. I was always bigger than the kids my age. You know, I was always told, you know, you can't play rough. You have to, you can't, you can't get angry. If you do these things, you'll hurt somebody. And, and, and so I really, I mean, honestly, if we're going to truth be told, it really molded me into this nice guy. And I was this super nice guy. And and really played it off like when I when I wouldn't succeed at something or wouldn't get something that I that I really wanted, I would play it off as like, oh, it's OK. I'm OK. It's all right. You know, it just wasn't meant to be. And I would I would brush it off. And I, and I became very good at doing that all the while. Lo and behold, I never knew I was growing this resentment inside of me asking myself or crying out like, when, when do I get when do I get my shot? When do I get what I want? Why is my life? devoted to doing all these things for, for other people. And, and so at an early age, I, I, I really kind of identified with the church and what it meant to be a service and being a servant. And, and so I, I kind of found a place there where I could be the nice guy and people accepted me for it. And it, and it became a thing that I was praised for and it naturally grew into ministry hmm. until <laughs> until all of it came to a head. And living that life of the nice guy and and making myself be of service, you know, I I, I would give the give you the shirt off my back. I would be there anytime somebody called. I was I was answering the phone and, and Somebody needed help moving. I was always there. The church doors were open and they needed somebody there. I was there. 
but I wasn't there, you know, later in life when I got married, like all these things, this identity that I had of being of service and helping these people made me a terrible husband. You know, it took me out of the home. It made me live this life where through my actions, I was consistently telling my ex-wife now that she was less important and she, she wasn't, she wasn't my partner, my other half. You know, we, I didn't cleave to her like the Bible says to do. I, I cleaved to this identity and I made that essentially an idol in my life until, until she'd had enough. And I remember that, that day and that, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a whole other story, right? There's, you know, there's a lot more that goes into that. It was kind of a, but let's, let, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's look at this aspect. Obviously actions and scenarios and circumstances have deep, deep impact on the way that we view and how we see life in this situation here that you're talking about. How did that whole dynamic really dictate how you were feeling because there's two parts of this, right? You 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 felt like you needed to be of service in order to be valuable. And so because you were of service, then you had value, but yet internally you were like asking, when is it my turn? When am I going to be valued? Can you kind of dive into that thought process there? Yeah. Yeah. So I learned how to be what the people around me needed to be so that I would get safe feelings from them, right? The the biggest, the worst thing that that I could have felt from another human being was disappointment. And, and so I, I modified everything in my life and every action that I took to try to mitigate that disappointment. And it, and it really did affect everything. The dichotomy of that being this person on the outside to, to make, to feel safe, to, to really manipulate them. Mm. Because on the inside, I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this. I don't even really like this person. And the battle inside when these thoughts would come up was that there was something wrong with me. Right. And, and so with my relationship to the church and, and being in ministry, I was constantly, constantly like rebuking myself and praying that I, I wouldn't be this double minded, like the real me that was saying, Hey, see me. I'm here. I, I wrote off as, I, I don't know, for, for lack of a better term, I wrote that off as like the sinful nature. And it, and it, and it isn't, right? It, it wasn't. It was the, there was a real me inside that said, you don't even really know who you are. You got to meet this guy. See me. And so I projected that onto other people with passive aggressiveness or avoidance, procrastination and things. When all the while the person I was crying out to the most was me. Like I had to I had to look in the mirror. And through the course of my my marriage, right, the the that passive aggressiveness, like she's the one person who is supposed to be there for me. Right. She's the one person who's supposed to accept me and understand me and 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 know who I am. But I never showed her who I was because I never knew it myself. And, you know, I, I, I post a lot of content because I, I, I do work with men, but I post a lot of content about the marriage itself and 
before my wife and I split up, there were multiple affairs on, on, on her part. And I, being this man of service and this nice guy, was like, we're, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. We're going to work through this. And I'm going to prove to you, because this is what I had to do in order to survive. I'm going to prove to you that I belong here. I'm going to prove to you that I am worthy. But I never forgave. I never did forgive. The passive aggressiveness just kept growing and growing and growing. And there's a lot of men out there that would tell me, well, yeah, you should have dropped her the first time. But, but I couldn't. I couldn't. Because I was still stuck in this this need to be seen, and I was going about it the wrong way. I was, but all the while I was leaving these little passive aggressive trail markers. Like the first time I found out about an affair, I got angry. I punched a hole in the wall, and then immediately came back and said, "All right, I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. We're going to work through this." And I, and I left the hole in the wall for years. Just let it sit. Huh. And two reasons. Number one, I didn't want to look at it. To me, it was a reminder of the pain. But on the other hand, I wanted her to see it. You know, I needed her to be reminded of her transgression. And that's not forgiveness. That's not how you that's not how you really work through something. And, you know, bless her heart. I don't think she knew how to verbalize what it was she wasn't getting from me because she saw what she thought was a real me. I mean, otherwise we probably wouldn't have gotten married. But I never lived, I never showed her that I was that man. And I never, yeah. I never really showed up as the man that was in the vows that I gave and I made. I didn't put her first. I wasn't there for, for better or for worse, through thick and thin. I, you know, that wasn't, I was there for everyone else, but I wasn't there for her. And, and the reality was, and when she finally said, I'm done, it's over. And all that rage and resentment came out. Yeah. And I was laying there. I said, there was this voice in my head that said, everything you thought you knew is gone. It's over. Like that, that thing was a myth and you got to figure it out now. So, so when did, and this is, I'm grateful for your authenticity and transparency because very few men, very few individuals are willing to actually share some of the pain and turmoil that's going on. And I want to honor that, but I'm going to ask you this question because I know I've been through it. When did you break? When did you have that meltdown and that breaking point that was you're living two separate lives. You have one of internal where you're looking for that. And yet externally, you're doing all of the right things. You're quote unquote, according to the church, you're forgiving and you're serving and you're doing all of these things. When did that break for you? So I, I kind of had two breaks. And the first break was when I lost a job. And it was one of those quiet breaks, right? It's like, my zest, my zeal, my will was broken when I got fired from a job that I had. And and I can look back at anything that I've tried to do since then. It's just kind of been like lackadaisical. I haven't been in it. And I think at that point I was searching for like I knew something was missing. I knew something was off. I didn't go about trying to find that the right way. And so it, for the next couple of years, it built up until we were my ex-wife and I were having a conversation and it was about money. And, and and I'll be honest with you, it was about a loan that I took out during a period of time when she was sick. And I took the loan out to help pay for medical expenses that I thought were going to save her life. And, and whether it be those things that whatever I bought saved her life or not, she ended up, we did turn it around eventually. But 
during the time she was sick, I took out a loan. I didn't even, didn't even tell her I did it, right? It was a big decision. Well, she was, she made the comment that she was not my mother and she would not, she was not going to talk to me like, like my mother spoke to my father. And that just stuck in me. And I, and I just reacted and I said something mean. I don't even remember what I said. I just remember she jumped up out of the couch and she said, I'm done. I'm a, this is over. You need to get out. And I, and that's when I jumped up and said, this is, this is what you have been wanting all along, isn't it? And then she, she cussed me out. Like it was, she said, she spoke to me in a way that no matter how bad things got between us in previous 15 years, she had never said anything like this. And I saw red. That's all I saw. I saw red and I didn't, I didn't attack her. I attacked the house and I took out half the drywall in the hallway, like where there was a hallway that separated the house from the master bedroom. It was now like one big open floor plan. And by the time I threw the last punch through the wall, the red had cleared. I looked back at that mess. I fell to my knees. The first thing I did was I cried out to her. I said, baby, what, what just happened? And that's when that voice came in and said, no, no, no. She's not going to help you. You've got to help you now. That's all that's left. And that, that, that for me was like, a nice guy is not going to do that, right? A, a good man, like the, the people that the, the church, the people of the church that see this guy who give you the shirt off his back, they come into your house and they see that you've done that. It's like I was faced with this reality that there were two versions of me and one of them was tired of being denied and ignored. And he said, I'm here. And that was the moment that it really, it just turned and I turned. And it wasn't like my next few months weren't like, oh, I'm on this new journey. No, it was like me, like what journey do I need to be on? Like what the heck is going on with me? I went through, I went through the stages of grief, right? This, this, I'm grieving, not just this marriage, that that is over because it was a farce up to this point. And I was trying to do work to restore the marriage, to save the marriage. And that's the first thing you had to learn, right? Was to, it's over. What you had didn't work. You don't want that back. If you want a new relationship, it's a, it's a new relationship. We ended up not getting back together, right? The damage was done. The, the paths were, were too far split and going in different directions for, for that to happen. I was able to get to a point that I was okay with that. And that I actually like understood that that's actually the best thing, right? Without pointing fingers and blaming, but I found my path to forgiveness of her and, and really embracing myself. After that breakdown, I did all the research I could to find out or to prove in my mind that she was a narcissist or she had borderline personality. And I was doing all that research and I had my proof until I presented it to a man one day and he flipped the switch on me and said, do you see yourself in that proof? And I looked at it again and I was like, Oh my God, I'm a narcissist. I might have borderline personality. And then since that time, I've come to realize, look, hurt people do things to protect themselves. It doesn't make us narcissists. It just makes us human. 
and sometimes we got to get rid of the labels. Oh, no, it, it's it's powerful when you look at the fact of understanding and beginning to analyze who you are and the things that you've done and the beliefs and the narrative that you were living. And now you recognize that that's a false narrative. And so this transition of becoming who you are today, what, what, where did you start? I mean, like you said, you were doing the research and trying to figure out and, and, and put your wife in a box. And then all of a sudden realize that that was now your reality. Like that, that's actually who I am. Like, yeah. So where do you start to even begin to change and how do you now live your life and the habits and the patterns and the things that you're doing to create a true narrative now? So I was, I was lucky enough to stumble across a program designed for men who wanted to save their marriages. And it's funny, I didn't save the marriage, but through the process of doing the work that is required to save the marriage, I was also able to let go. And it started really honestly taking a hard look in the mirror. We, 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 we love to be able to blame and, and point fingers and say, well, none of this was my fault. But as a man, right, as men, in, in, in the world today, like, do we want to go around with the identity of the victim? The minute we accept that identity, that, that everything's against us and we don't stand a chance, we lose all vigor for life. We, we lose, like, after that, we're just existing in this miserable box that we put ourselves in. So, even when a situation is painful and it doesn't go the way you want and it feels like you are climbing this impossible mountain, what is your responsibility? How did you show up? What are the things that, that, that you did that were out of character? Do you even know what is out of character? Do you know what it means to have integrity with who you are? Like the very first question you ask, like, who are you, right? What I gave you was the two core values, like the two, the two biggest core values I have for my life. I had to define those things. And then I had to go back and I had to say, okay, if this is who I say I am, what in my past does not line up with that? What are the situations in, in my marriage where I didn't show up as that guy? I, I wasn't living those core values. And so through taking that accountability and that responsibility and that ownership, right? Because it's deeper than just acknowledging how you didn't show up and saying to somebody, oh yeah, well, you know, I didn't show up the right way and I apologize for that. It won't happen again. I mean, it won't happen again is like, that's like the theme song for, for the chronic abuser or misbehavior or, you know, oh, sorry, it won't, it won't happen again. Tomorrow it happens again. And the next day it happens again and over and over. And so we build up this, this history of not showing up. And that's usually where the breakdown in relationships come from. Right. So, yeah. So in this, in this thing here though, you're saying, okay, I have my values. I look back in my past. What were the things that didn't line up? And you know, it's not just an, I'm sorry. So how do you actually change that? Like, what do you do to be able to live that out and now start instead of living that repeat and rinse life that you're just talking about, like, sorry, it won't happen again. How do you actually change that? What do you do? Ask forgiveness? Like, where, where do you go? Yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, essentially, yes, we do ask for forgiveness and we do apologize. But we 
the, the apology doesn't hold weight until we can say, okay, we'll take one specific example here. I put everyone else ahead of her. Like if she needed something, if she needed me to be somewhere, I would always have, well, so-and-so needs me to do this, so I'll, I'll do it afterwards. And it's like I was always putting her on the back burner. I made a vow, right, to be there for her. I made a vow that to, to be one with her, to be partners with her. So I didn't, I didn't own that vow. And if I look at that number one core value, I am a man who protects, who provides physical financial, emotional, and spiritual protection for my family, well, putting her on the back burner, I'm not giving her that emotional protection, right? Putting her aside, making her second, making her other than, is not protecting that. Taking out that loan without having the conversation with her, I wasn't protecting that financial. So why did I do these things? Why did I make decisions that I felt like I couldn't share with her? Because they were decisions that, in my head, would have created an uncomfortable conversation. And mm -hmm. so it was my inability to have an uncomfortable conversation that caused me to not protect her in ways. It was my inability to tell these people over here, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this. My wife needs me here. It was my inability to face that discomfort that, that, that put her second. And so why do I feel like I can't tell these people no? Why do I feel like I have to say yes to all these things? Why do I feel I have to hide these decisions? Because I may be viewed as not having it all together, right? And that's what I had to settle. And that goes all the way back to that beginning story. So what did you do to change that? You have two things. You, you, you mentioned two things specifically in this. One is you had to change the way you felt about the situations. That's your identity and your values. Yeah. Two now is your actions. And those are the two specific things that how did you change that? And I think that is the crux of this entire conversation Yeah. of everything that we've talked about and brought that up. And now you're at that point. How do you change those two things? So the process, right? The process. I go back to that four-year-old version of me who got the macaroni and cheese. And I, and I realized the, the, the label, the narrative, let's call it what it is, the trauma, right? Because it's not the event that was the trauma. It's the meaning I took from the event. And I exactly. sit with that and I actively sit with that. How did that feel? What did I feel? And look, we're talking about a memory of a memory of a memory, right? I don't know what I feel. What do I feel right now when I think about that? Like right now, it's like, okay, same thing as telling you what I had for breakfast. But at that moment, I realized I've lived my entire life because thinking that, 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 that I had this kind of control and that I really had to be something for other people. And I had to sit with that. And then I had to tell myself, look, you were breathed. You were given life for a purpose. And that purpose is your purpose. It's not your mom's purpose. It's not your wife's purpose. It's not the people at the church's purpose. It's your purpose. And you have the ability, number one, and the right to live that. This thing that happened, it just happened. It's not your fault that your mom got upset at your dad. It's not your fault that your dad got upset at your mom. It's not your fault that your dad threw that bottle. It's not your fault that everything fell apart. You just got a bowl of macaroni and cheese. And they did the best they could with what they had. And they had their own issues and their own problems. They're not mean. They're not bad people because of what happened. They just It's just a thing. It's a thing that happened. 
So is that a release then? Is that yeah. like giving yourself permission? Yeah, to let it go. Mm. And also, on some level, to forgive them. Yeah. Because that resentment, like I'm constantly, I felt like I was constantly, there was this in, this shadow version of me saying, I'm here, see me, somebody needs to see me. I could, They're not the reason I wasn't seen, right? It was my own four-year-old understanding of the situation. Exactly, exactly. So what do you do now? What are the actions? What are the things that you do now? Obviously, like you said, the analyze, let it go, forgiveness, understanding, the, the whole four-year-old yeah. aspect is powerful, powerful. But what do you do now? What are your habits like today to be able to craft your narrative for today? So for today, I take that number one core value, this right, this providing the protection for my family. And I have to acknowledge that I am part of that family. So does this thing protect me physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually? Is it in line with who I am? Okay, good. It does. All right. So it's acceptable for me to do if it also then doesn't cause any physical, financial, emotional, spiritual harm to my family now. Okay. Then it's an action I can take. If I have the time and I want to do it, then I, I can do it. It's not gonna it's not gonna be outside of my core values. And so it sounds like a lot of work. Like with every decision you make, you have to measure it with this, you know. But practice makes permanent, right? It's it's kind of like you just get used to it. And there are things that when you hear it, you feel it, you see it, you're like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then there are things that when you hear it, you feel it, you see it, you're like, nope, nope, I can't do that. It's just, it's not going to work. You just know. Yeah. And it's, it's always about reminding myself. It's kind of like you take Kobe Bryant, right? He was the a great fundamental basketball player because he practiced the fundamentals. And when I, when I think of core values, I think of the core values are the dribbling, the free throws, and the passes, like the things that, that you gotta, you've got to stay sharp on. It's not a fancy layup. It's not a spin dunk or anything like this. It's not anything spectacular. It's the basics. And so if that least common denominator of who I am is intact, then everything else, like that's, that's like the master link of the chain, right? It keeps everything else intact. And so I love it. I love I, yeah. It. I just keep that in mind. So what do you, I mean, we're getting close to the time. We, I think we've gone a little bit over, but that's okay. This is really, really powerful conversation and a, a lot of really great stories. And I, I think people are going to relate to that. But if you had to talk directly one-on-one with those that are listening, what is the one thing you would hope that they would take away from this conversation? The one thing I hope that people who hear me can take away is that your past does not define you. It's not who you are. The past is just a series of events that have happened. And if you believe something about yourself that doesn't serve you, you can sit with that. You can change that. You can be who it is you were created to be. All right. How can people get in touch with you? So I've got the social media platforms. I'm on Instagram at The Epic Life Coaching. I'm on uh, Facebook, also The Epic Life Coaching. I'm on TikTok. Yeah, I'm on TikTok. Guess what? The Epic Life Coaching. Um, and, and I've got a website. Guess what? TheEpicLifeCoaching.com. And from the website, you can chat with me. Like if you, you put something in the chat box, it's going to collect a little information, but then it's going to put you directly in touch with me. And so like, all of those are, oh, I've also got a YouTube channel called The Epic Life Coaching. 
it's pretty pretty standard. Uh, I try to keep it all simple, right? <laughs> Very easy. Love it. Love it. We want to hear from you because in our hearts, the things that empower us and, and, and fulfill us the most are when you come back and you say, hey, I, you said this and it really made an impact on my life. So whether you email me or you email Adam, don't hesitate to do that because those are the things that that totally uh, inspire us to move forward and inspire us to even do more and, and to give more. So if, if you heard something, please, please, please reach out, let us know. And again, like I said, if you're only listening to this on the podcast, you're probably missing most of the communication, our facial expressions. So maybe you have to go back and listen to it on YouTube. But anyway, thank you again. And those that are listening, until next time, make sure you go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you go ahead and follow us. Make sure you do all of those fun things that we do on social media. But most important, keep writing your narrative. Keep writing your story because that is what's going to make you have a life of fulfillment. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live. Enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.